0: G'day, this is Tim Power, the host of the Time to Talk Australia podcast. Before we dive into today's conversation, it is really important for you to know that it is fairly graphic. We have a diverse group of people that listen to this podcast, but I do know that many of you have experienced trauma, grief, loss, abuse. In this conversation, there is no sugarcoating. Child abuse is described in graphic detail. I would really highly recommend that you listen to this podcast, maybe with somebody by your side in case it raises some issues for you. And at the very least, be aware that there are lots of resources out there and support services for people who are affected by child abuse in any way. It might not be you directly, but even hearing conversations about it may raise issues for you. One great website that I can recommend is NSPCC nfinnellyspcc.org.uk. It's a fantastic website about child sexual exploitation and it's got advice about all the issues that are connected to this, how to respond to a child who makes a disclosure reporting child sexual exploitation and where you can reach out for counselling services in relation to the same topics. Now, if you don't mind, bear with me for just one more minute here. I do want to get on my soapbox for a moment. As part of this show, I sort of, like a little whale in the ocean, I swim through many schools of fan communities. And absolutely, all of them have, you know, they're good and they're bad and they're infighting. However, I do want to say this. As someone who has spent the past four weeks sort of, like a whale swimming through the Michael Jackson fan community, I need to say, as a very broad comment, you are a really unpleasant fan group. Unwelcoming, spiteful, nasty. Does that apply to all of you? Absolutely not. Now, it has been explained to me that Michael Jackson fans, right at this point in time, are particularly hyper vigilant and hypersensitive because apparently the creator of Leaving Neverland, and actually his name's still not occurring to me, Uh, apparently he's planning a follow-up documentary. So that may go some way to explaining some of the horrific responses I've had over the past four weeks, with so many people believing that I was the producer of Leaving Neverland in disguise. I don't even know his name. So a quick message to the Michael Jackson community, you probably don't care to hear it, but I'm going to give you my advice anyway, be a little bit more friendly. Don't create this gated community where nobody's allowed in, because he himself would be absolutely ashamed of some of the people that have written to me over the past four weeks. Okay, so I'm climbing off my soapbox now, thank you for hearing me out. Of course, I acknowledge that not every single Michael Jackson fan is particularly nasty, including these two lovely people that you're about to hear from, Sam and Annika. This conversation we shared is really very interesting. But if I'm going to be perfectly honest, the one thing that stood out to me more than anything else was how beautifully spoken, courteous, professional, lovely, authentic... Sam and Annika were throughout this conversation, before, during, and since. You'll probably pick it up too. Feel the energy from these two. They are genuinely good, decent people, and I can't thank them enough for their time. Alright, so before you take my hand and we walk into that building up on the hill, that's called the Fortress for those of you new here. That's the Fortress of Pop Culture up there. That's where we're about to head. I've only got two favours of you, please. While you're listening to this podcast, and as it certainly brings up thoughts and ideas and opinions that you might have, please consider stopping the podcast and recording some of those ideas and sending them to me. I'd love to play them in a follow-up episode. Our email is time to talk Australia at Outlook.com. All you have to do is pull out your phone, record a voice memo, send it via email. And my second and final request is is please subscribe to this podcast. Keep us alive. You can subscribe to us on YouTube. That's great. But it is even better if you go to our podcast channels on Spotify, iHeart, Apple, all of them, really Google. You type in Time to Talk Australia and you'll be able to find us. Tim Power is my name. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram. And on Instagram, you can find the show at timetotalk.show. Okay, so I think that we can all agree you've listened to me for quite enough. Here, I'm reaching out. Take my hand. Let's walk up the hill. Let's go into the fortress. And let's start exploring some of these Michael Jackson allegations. Coming to you from the mountain fortress of pop culture. You're listening to Time to Talk.
1: Artists seem to get in the way of the music. Get out of the way of the music.
2: Hey.
0: Sam and Annika, welcome to the Fortress of Pop Culture. Hi. Hello. Hi, nice to hear you both. Thanks for persevering and getting yourself into the fortress. You've got to dig through some dark tunnels to get here, right? <laughs>
2: Something <laughs> like that. you yeah, for having possibly. us.
0: Thank you. I know it's late over there in Europe. So, look, Michael Jackson died in 2009, and after all these years, I'm just really curious, why is it so important to his fans to continue to protest very loudly about his (laughs) innocence against allegations of child molestation?
2: Michael Jackson should have felt vindicated when the jury delivered their 14 unanimous not guilty verdicts, but the media's irresponsible coverage of the trial made it impossible for him to ever truly feel vindicated. And uh, the the legal system may have declared him innocent, but the public, on the whole, still thought otherwise and had um, serious reservations. And it's a shame that somebody who has dedicated their lives, and their arts, and their medium, and given to the world so much, has to continue to endure this it really should be put to bed decades ago and it hasn't so for us it's still an ongoing uh, concern that we need to um, uh, right or wrong if you like
0: so look before we get into this conversation into the meat of it let's just try and gauge some personal values around the issue of child abuse and i'm curious with both of you if these allegations that have uh, been made historically and tested in courts, or the newer allegations that have been made since his death, if any of them were proven to be true without a shadow of a doubt, would you continue to be Michael Jackson fans?
3: Absolutely not. Unequivocally not. not. No,
2: yeah, without question.
0: Are either one of your parents? Yes. Both of us. It puts a different dimension on things, doesn't it? When you're a parent, not to say that people who aren't parents can't, uh, you know, abhor child abuse or mm. look suspiciously at allegations which may be malicious. But when you're a parent and you look into the face of your child and consider mm-hmm. the conversation we're about to have, it's a different. It's a it different hits dimension.
3: Differently, it really yeah, does.
0: It really does. All right, so look, I'm going to try and take you through some facts and then I'm curious for you guys to respond. In 1993, Jordan Chandler, who was then 13 years old, he told a psychiatrist that Jackson had molested him and he drew a picture at that point that he said represented Jackson's genitals. Subsequent to that, police photographer Gary Spiegel took the photos of Jackson when they visited Neverland Ranch uh-huh. And when Jackson, after much ado, eventually lifted his penis and lowered, lowered his pants, lifted his penis, that photographer, Gary Spiegel, says it was clear that there was a dark spot on the lower left side of Mr. Jackson's penis, and that was exactly where Geordie Chandler said the mark would be. How do fans navigate this? How do they explain it?
3: The information that we have suggests that there was no match between the picture and description given by Jordan Chandler and the photographs taken. Had there been a match, Michael would have been arrested, pretty mm-hmm. much on the spot. He wasn't.
0: When you say information you both have that that says that that mark wasn't there, what is that information? Because it's I thought that was unequivocal that there were wo- that there were blotches. In his genital area that matched the picture that Geordie drew.
2: I'll add into I'll chime into this. It's probably important to to mention at this point that um, I was present in the public gallery for the uh, 2004 2005 uh, trial in Santa Maria, California. Um, During this trial, um, the uh, judge, Judge Melville, introduced what he called the Prior Bad Act. So he allowed the accusations of the 1993 Jordan Chandler case to be introduced into the new. Uh, trial. And, and so all the uh, information and evidence for that particular case uh, was permitted to be introduced to the new trial. Um, again, I'll echo what Annika said. Had there been a match, Michael Jackson would have been uh, indicted. There's no question about that. The fact that there wasn't, and also the fact that these photographs were not included in the new trial, it speaks volumes. Um, if there was a match, it would be an open, it would be a home run for the prosecution. The fact they were mm-hmm. not included speaks volumes. And the fact also that uh, you know, these, these uh, photographs have never seen the light of day and that the prosecution worked to not include them in the trial uh, against these mm-hmm. volumes.
0: Have you both heard of Bill Doran? Yes. Yes. Now, he's a retired police detective. Let's hear from him.
4: He described Jackson's genitalia. Uh, it was unique because of the discoloration, and we then obtained a search warrant to photograph Jackson ...to corroborate what the child has said. When photographing Jackson's genitalia, it did corroborate. In other words, the boy saw Jackson naked. Does that mean Jackson molested the child? No, but it adds to the credibility of the child.
0: Now, if I've been listening correctly, you are both asserting that there is no evidence that Geordie even saw Michael Jackson naked.
2: Then why didn't he? Why didn't they arrest him? If there was was a, a matching genital description. It would be more than probable cause to arrest him, and the fact he wasn't arrested uh, again speaks volumes. What you're hearing are sound bites, and the media love sound bites. Um, anyone and anyone could share their information, their uh, opinion on the case, and what they believe. Bill Doran has many times well, said Well, let, 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 many- let's just
0: yes. let me pick you up on that, Sam. I don't sure. mean to be argumentative, but no. these aren't just you know sound bites from any person off the street. This is somebody who was involved. He was there. I. Ha- what would be his motivation? for telling an interview and telling others and, and telling the legal process that the photographs match the description given by Geordie. What would be his motivation to do that?
2: Again, I refer you back to the original point. Had there been a match, then the uh, the sketches or the photographs that they had would have been pre- presented to the grand jury in 93, who were asked whether uh, Jackson should be indicted, and they chose no on two separate occasions that it should not go to trial. Had there um, been a match, that would have been an open closed case. It's uh, oh, built. Sorry. Sorry, go Anna, ahead, Tom. I was, no, no, I was just go. going
3: to add, add to that that from. Um, from what snedden i believe snedden himself in emotion said that the the it was one single spot or discoloration that was in about the same kind of area not exactly not unequivocally it was kind of there or thereabouts is is, is the language that they were well, using i've got and to say annika
0: though uh, but sorry to interrupt but as a male you know blotches on the penis will change their position depending no, but, on the state of the genitals
3: but the point no the point is that michael had vitiligo which was yes. which was known at the time so to, assuming yeah. there are blotches and then if you if you if you were to draw a picture of, of male genitalia and of someone who had vitiligo and you randomly put some blotches on, there's a chance. I mean, it's, you know, it's a small area of
1: the body. There's a
3: chance that one of those blotches is going to be in about the same area.
2: If, if the was, police showed up compelling. at your house, and if the police showed up at your house and they had a search warrant to look for drugs or whatever it may be, and they found them, would they just take them away and leave you there? No. In the same uh, scenario with Michael Jackson, they were there for a reason to photograph his genitals. Had there been a match, he would not have been allowed to stay. There would have been a, a, an arrest on the spot. This is you have to you have to question why there was no arrest and why the grand jury refused to inject Jack, Jack Jackson on two occasions in '93 and refused to take it to a criminal
0: trial. Yeah, look, I'm I'm, I'm interested in that. You're, you're weighing a lot on the fact that they didn't arrest him then and there. I don't know what the legal process is very different in different um, jurisdictions, obviously. I don't know if there is anything suspicious about not arresting him there on the spot, but I take your point that if there was something there, why wouldn't they have? Let's look at Geordie Chandler a little bit closer. Mm-hmm. Geordie said that Jackson would masturbate him with his hand and with his mouth. Geordie reported that Jackson said that if he didn't do it, It meant Geordie didn't love him anymore. I want to read to you from the Child Protection Report. Okay, so there's often conspiracies laid at the the feet of police, but before they became involved, there was Child Protection Services. So the reporter says he started by sleeping with Jackson in the same bed. Then it led to kissing on the mouth, fondling and touching of the genitals. Later, the perpetrator would masturbate in front of the child. Perpetrator would persuade the child to operate. Uh, cooperate by telling him of other young male relatives that he had along with other kids who did this with him and so it's okay for the boy to do it as well. The perpetrator graduated to putting his mouth on the child's penis and eating the semen. The perpetrator consistently explained it was, quote, okay and natural. Why would a child tell that to a social worker from child protection services if it wasn't true?
3: Children. Children say and do things for a number of reasons. In this particular case, it's very likely that he was following guidance from his father. A child's parents have a lot of influence over a child.
0: Now, this is Evan Chandler, isn't it? Yes, yes. There's a lot said about Evan Chandler, right? About his hmm. motivation and about his character, all mm-hmm. thereof. Can you can you put that in a nutshell for us? Why are fans so suspicious of Evan Chandler, who, by the way, committed suicide?
3: Yeah, he did. I'll
0: answer,
3: can we? Yeah, yeah please one go ahead. Just, just before we move on, I just wanted to make one final point about sure. the the sure. genitalia because it, it, it is important. Jordan also claimed that Michael was circumcised. We know for a fact that he was not. Because this is reported in his autopsy, that's a pretty compared to blotches of vitiligo. The circumcision point is is a much bigger point because it's it's a much more obvious point as well.
0: Yeah, if I, I haven't read that before, and if that's true, I, I I take that on board. In saying that again, just to be your devil's advocate this mm-hmm. afternoon, uh, you know, uh, some circ- uncircumcised men have a foreskin that sits right back, and it could appear as a circumcised penis. And to a child, uninitiated, it's pretty easy to mix up the two. Evan Chandler, why are we so suspicious of him?
2: Well, Evan Chandler is, uh, for people that aren't aware, was a, a, a dental surgeon in Beverly Hills for, for a long time and Michael was um, uh, quite close to Evan. Um, now, Evan was also a budding filmmaker and was persistently after funding from my
0: he was ambitious wasn't me.
2: he he was ambitious um, why are we suspicious evan chandler has admitted that he has used the sedative sodium amitol during jordan chandler's dental surgery um mm. otherwise known mm. as a truth serum where you can plant susceptible memories and and uh and, um, and and such into somebody's mind while they're under the influence of that barbiturate so it's it's um uh, there is a lot of, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, unethical behaviour when it comes to Evan Chadler.
3: And also Evan Evan's relationship with Jordan was initially, so he was separated from Jordan's mother. Initially he was, you know, not very involved. He was, um, as I understand it, um, behind on child support payments and things like that. He um, wasn't that interested in his son, Suddenly, Michael Jackson becomes a part of Jordan's life, and Evan's interested like, all over again. Mm.
0: Um, wasn't Evan? He, wasn't Evan present when Michael first met him? Because there's this famous story for those of uh, the listeners that don't know that Michael met uh, Geordie Chandler when his car broke down, yeah. and he went to a mechanic. Wasn't that? The, uh, wasn't that, that, was that his, Evan
3: um, stepfather?
0: Stepfather, right? Wasn't yeah. Evan? Great. No, Dave Dave Schwartz, yeah. Got it. Very Um, very chance meeting though, wasn't it?
3: Very much so, yeah. If his car hadn't broken down that day, the course of history might be entirely different. Um,
4: Yeah.
3: But also Evan almost immediately really upon sort of meeting Michael and, and getting to know him was starting to, you know, want funding for movie projects and things like this Um. And even when the allegations were initially made, they wanted to, they were asking for money for, and funding for movie projects to make the whole thing go away. This is before it's all become public.
2: You also have to remember the 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 allegations of abuse did not originate with Jordan Chandler. It was Evan Chandler, Jordan's father, who
0: first made the claims. But that's very Mm -hmm. typical, Sam, to be fair. Like it 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 often is in most cases. uh, the disclosure is made to often another child or a parent or an adult. And so it is absolutely not unusual for the child not to go directly to police. Let me just take us, progress us through this a little bit. Geordie, after talking to Child Protection, Uh, social workers. He was interviewed by Richard Gardner, who I'm sure you're both aware of. He's a leading expert on child sexual abuse. He administered a number of tests that they have in the field. He had extensive conversations with Geordie. And Richard Gardner, this expert, concluded Geordie was telling the truth. What motivation would Richard Gardner have, a professional with years of expertise, to conclude... That this child is telling the truth. If he wasn't,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, as I say, uh, the, the the opinion of uh, child expert psychologist can vary. It's it's as we've seen many times in family court cases. You can have one expert that advocates for custody to be awarded to the father and one for the mother. The opinion of a child expert psychologist is is exactly that. It's an opinion of an informed advisor. It's not a fact. Um, it, similarly, Gavin Arviso in the most recent court case in two thousand and five was also uh, was believed by the child psychologist. Um, however, under cross examination in the uh, in the case, um, the jurors simply did not believe his account because of the number of inconsistencies that were repeatedly brought to the fore.
3: It may not be that he had a motive to believe or to disbelieve him. It's it's more the case he was presented with a child who was making certain statements, and he had no no reason not to believe him.
0: Well, let's talk about that because some of Richard Gardner's own reports are publicly available. Geordie told Richard Gardner that Michael would refer to cum, ejaculation fluid, as duck butter. Now, that's very specific. So if we're talking, because I'm hearing from both of you that there's an element of coaching here from Evan Chandler, the dad, That's very specific and ingenious coaching, if it it exists. And this is taken from Gardner's own report. Let me read it to you. Phase three quickly morphed into phase four, dubbed the more physical contact time by Dr. Gardner. According to the doctor's own transcript, this final phase had several graduated steps, of grooming we're talking about here. Geordie described the seemingly innocent, but ever more frequent hugs Michael Jackson gave him, then the I love you's that they exchanged, and next, the quick kisses on the cheek that then graduated to kisses on the lips, and finally, French kissing. The transcript of this session includes the passage. This is a direct quote from Geordie. I said, hey, I didn't like that, don't do that again. The doctor said, and what did he say? meaning Jackson, Geordie said he started crying, much like when he tried to convince my mother to allow us to sleep in the same bed. This is pretty heavy coaching, if that's the argument that you're presenting. It yes, indeed. Is, yeah. yeah, it would have to be. Yeah. You're,
3: you're, you know that in making these allegations, you have to convince not just the police and um, child psychologists and, and you know, a small circle of people you know that given the nature of these allegations this is going to go out there in front of the whole world it has to be convincing
0: how would you describe a parent that did coach their child to say the things that i just read if they weren't true how would you describe that parent
4: manipulative, I'd say that
3: manipulative mm-hmm. despicable unfit to be a parent
0: mm-hmm. it's you,
3: shocking no no true parent would put their child in that position I mean, just simply on the basis of the welfare of your own child should come first.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because I'm trying to put myself in your shoes and to believe that Michael Jackson's innocent, then you must believe that Evan Chandler was a monster.
2: Yes.
3: Evan Chandler himself makes that clear in the phone call that he had with Dave Schwartz, who was the stepfather. When he makes perfectly clear, um, and this isn't this isn't a, a direct quote, but um, in my words, what he said, something along the lines of, Dave Schwartz even asked him, but what about Jordan? And, and essentially the effect on Jordan. And Evan responds something along the lines of, that's not important to me. I don't it's care. It's irrelevant, yeah. It's yeah. Irrelevant. yeah. <clears throat> and he said, when I do this, I'm going to get what I want. And he talks about finding um, the nastiest Lawyers that he can find, and everyone's going down basically. And I've um, read those
0: quotes, Annika. And I have to say that if my child came to me and uh, disclosed abuse and it was true, those comments would come out of my mouth too. So they don't necessarily indicate somebody who's coaching a but, child in untruth, no, they but could indicate an angry like- parent.
3: You, no, but you would be looking for justice for your child, wouldn't you? You'd be looking to make the perpetrator pay for what they've done. And I don't mean money. I mean, you want to see that person go to jail, one, so that your child gets justice, and two, so that no other child is going to suffer what your child has suffered.
2: It's probably important just to interject at this point, because that, that recording, it, it, the, the full length of the recording, uh, goes on to say um, uh, that uh, Evan is clearly... Uh, afraid of cross-examination he at this point in 93 in january 93 in december he does not want it to go to a criminal trial, and in the recording, you can hear him say, "Oh, we don't want that." You know, we we, and he, he says, uh, "Well, what do you want?" Anthony Pellicano, Michael Jackson's uh, private investigator, says, "Well, what do you want?" We've made you an offer. Evan Chandler comes back and says, "Make me a better offer." That the motive mm. is clear, and that simply cannot be ignored in this in this particular situation. The,
3: the fact that from day one, day one, what Evan was asking for consistently was money that if Michael had paid him, I think it was 1 million they were asking for at the beginning or something, I can't remember what the amount was, but if Michael had paid him that that small amount, which essentially pocket change to Michael Jackson at this point, Mm -hmm. back in, I think it was August or something before everything went public, if he had paid paid it then, none of this would have ever come out. It was was extortion. It was blackmail. Either you give me this money or you fund these projects or I'm going public with these allegations.
0: I'd like to take you both back to 1979. There was a man, Terry George, from the UK. He's now a millionaire, actually, and he has a public profile. What happened between him and Michael Jackson? Let me read to you. Jackson was just 21 at the time. Jackson was touring in the UK with his brothers as the Jackson 5 pop group when he asked 13-year-old terry for his phone number after their first meeting terry told the mirror that the entertainer would spend hours chatting to him on phone on the phone during their calls and the brit claims the adult star would phone him three times a week at 9 p.m on the dot terry said this is a quote from terry he'd often asked if my parents were in and when i explained that they had gone out to play bingo he would relax terry told the abc he spoke about masturbation about him masturbating and did I masturbate? The property developer then said, then suddenly out of nowhere, he asked me if I masturbated and that if I did, did I use cream? I was puzzled and I said, no. I said, I didn't know what he meant. When I paused, he said, would you believe that I'm doing it right now? And I could hear down the line. He was making strange noises. Terry said it made him feel confused and uncomfortable. What motivation would Terry George, who's in the public eye, he's got plenty of money of his own. I've seen him interviewed. He's, you know, seemed like a very sane and sensible person to me. Why would he make a story like that up?
2: These are part of the FBI files. Um, The FBI, um, as you may or may not be aware, they they investigated uh, at at the behest of the Santa Barbara Police Department. They investigated Jackson for 12 years and uh these uh excerpts from Terry's book were included in the FBI files and uh again it's uh quite simply his word against Jackson's it, it is and it is just that T- Terry George has consistently praised Jackson before and even after his death um However, again, it is just conjecture at this point. No formal complaint was ever filed, and he refused to be interviewed on that. Um, well, t- Terry claims- said that he's,
0: he made recordings of some of the phone calls. It's not clear if he made say, recordings. He,
2: made, he claims to have made recordings but can never evidence this and provide these recordings. Well, so, his uh, claim is it- that
0: he's handed them over and they're no longer in his possession. where? That's
3: convenient.
0: Yeah. Okay, let's hear from Terry George. Sure.
1: And just to give a bit of context to it though, uh, presumably there was the conversation turned sexual from, from his angle, um, did it?
4: Well, yes,
2: it, it talked about, you know, something of a sexual nature, but then it didn't seem sinister, it didn't seem out of the ordinary, although it felt uncomfortable and um, awkward at the time. Uh, looking back on it, you know, maybe it did have different, you know, it was for different reasons from what I thought it was then.
0: Any thoughts about what Terry said to the interviewer there?
2: yeah um they, they, i mean people quite often have argued that since he was a millionaire at the time he had no incentive to accuse michael of of abuse uh but terry was not a millionaire in 1993 when he made the accusations he was a an unknown disc jockey with a with a gay chat business uh a company he wanted to promote um the only reason he's since downplayed the allegation is uh, because the media blew a 10 second conversation out of proportion and he felt ashamed of the accusation that he made to be decided to withdraw from the public limelight. Uh, he, of course, he would never admit that he flat out lied because false accusers rarely do. But he's up there with uh, other uh, people who have met Michael once in a single non-private meeting and turned that into an allegation for fame.
0: So, Sam, you're saying it was the motivation was for notoriety, for fame, for attention.
2: I think uh, I think he very much felt uh, ashamed of what he had said, and uh, the the media also loved their sound bites, and they decided to blow that out, out of proportion. Again, I refer back to the recordings. Had he had any recordings of such a nature, they would be explosive. It would be an open shot case for Michael Jackson's legacy. And Annika, he, I know uh, that
0: you're you're trying to interject, but I, I just say this, Sam. I, I I take a little bit of issue with this, the media love bites business, because if if somebody in the public makes an allegation or tells a story like the one that Terry George just made, uh, and Michael Jackson used to say this a lot too, he used to accuse the tabloid media of making up rubbish and all of that, but if someone in the public tells a story, it's actually a journalist's responsibility to let that person have a voice to tell that story, and then if there is an inch of credibility about it to... Uh, make it public. That's their job. It, it, so it's also I I, a
3: journalist's responsibility to investigate the claims because anyone can say anything with credibility. I could say a lot of things about a lot of people and sound credible.
0: Annika, can I just say in response to that that if the threshold for publishing uh, things into the public domain was that it had to be 100% conclusive, then both you and Sam wouldn't be afforded the opportunity to be talking to me today. We can't.
3: I'm not saying 100%, but. You are, exa- you are testing what we are saying. You're not just accepting what we're saying, as you should. You're not just saying, oh, okay, Annika said this, that must be true. You're saying, oh, hang on, this is what Terry Georgia said, or hang on, let's listen to this, or let me present you with this. We're then providing the evidence or the opinions that we have, but it's a two-way street. You are not simply taking what we are saying as fact,
0: no, but it's just that broader point because Michael Jackson. I'm a, a big fan of his music, but he did used to irritate me by time after time telling people, "Don't read it; it's rubbish. Don't believe it." It's like, <laughs> wow, this is insane! Like it's it's just way too broad. Not everything that is published is a myth, and I've heard twice Sam say that the media loves its sound bites. Well, to be frank, Terry George was not a soundbite. He was a man who told a story about when he was 13 having a sexual conversation with an adult famous pop star. And that is not a soundbite. That is a responsibility for a journalist to look into and let that man have a voice.
2: Agreed, but the money is in the guilty verdict. The media are obsessed with soundbites and how do you I mean, having been in the trial and then coming home and going to my motel in Santa Maria, California, turning on the news, how do you reduce eight hours of testimony in the day into two yep. sentences or a soundbite or a headline and still remain accurate? The money mm. is absolutely in sensationalism. so there is already bias. There is much more money to be made in a guilty conviction. That's why more, more people are clamoring to make sure that he is perceived to be guilty even if he's not.
3: Terry George okay, he said he's had these conversations. That That's his word. That's what he's saying. We don't know that that's true. He's never filed a lawsuit. He's never taken his claims to any kind of authorities. Um, in fact, from my recollection of Terry George, my understanding was that it was him pursuing Michael Jackson. Not, not, And I'm not suggesting that he was pursuing him in any kind of romantic or sexual way. I'm just saying that he was kind of chasing Michael Jackson, wanting that relationship with him rather than it being the other way around. Um, I've even got something in my mind about how the reason his contact with him stopped was because his parents got really angry at him for for um having such a high phone bill calling the US, so it was him calling Michael Jackson, not the That's other right. way around.
0: It's true, um, and he used to say Joseph would answer, Janet would answer, and the phone right, bill was but, so high that the family it, phone got cut off.
3: Right, so if Michael was trying to do something with terry george you'd expect him to be chasing him him to be calling him all the time i sure. disagree with Thanks.
0: you annick if you want to be a suspicious mind you could say that michael had told the child to call him so that it didn't show up on michael's phone records
3: but again, that's, that's making something up if we're just looking at the evidence mm-hmm. and, and and george has never himself said that
0: let's move on to macaulay Calkin. Um, Now, he has continuously denied that anything sexual happened between himself and Michael Jackson. He's been a big defender of Michael, Uh, but he does acknowledge that he slept in the same bed as Jackson. He does acknowledge that Jackson gifted him with a gold Rolex watch at the age of 11, Um, and Michael himself has said that he would sleep in the same bed as Macaulay and Kieran Culkin, all jamming in, I think was the quote. Is it? Strange behaviour that Michael Jackson and Macaulay would publicly state without any shame or favour that they slept in the same bed together.
2: Therein is the issue, uh, without any shame. I mean, you know, this is uh, a man who has uh, befriended a young child star because they share similar upbringings and they are um, simply not ashamed to uh, admit that they have shared uh, a bedroom is it is it normal uh, in, in relation to our standard societal norms no absolutely not but who here can honestly say that they have uh, walked in the same shoes and lived the same circumstances as somebody as as, as Michael Jackson we can't we can't possibly and
3: Not just that look should an adult just from the perspective of how it looks should an adult share a bed with an unrelated child no should michael jackson have done it in my opinion no does that mean he did anything illegal also no. no and and that is a very important point here because at the end of the day a bed is a bed if two people get in the bed doesn't matter who those two people are and they go to sleep there's nothing inherently wrong with that people ask me all the time would i let my child sleep in a bed? With an unrelated adult, and I can categorically say no, I wouldn't for, for a number of reasons. One, I'm not going to put my child in that position. but equally so, I'm not going to put that adult in that position. Uh-huh, uh-huh. because it is a fact that children do also lie for a multitude of reasons. look at look at the number of allegations that have been made against teachers, for example, teachers who have had their lives completely ruined only for it subsequently to emerge that an allegation was false. Okay. And there's as much responsibility on the mothers and parents of these children as there is on Michael. Should any of them have agreed to this situation? In my opinion, no. Does it mean anything illegal happened? No. That's why we have to examine the evidence.
0: Just a point of clarification too. I, I take your point that there are vexatious claims, Annika, but the uh, percentage of vexatious claims regarding sexual abuse is remarkably low and that has to be accepted and that's across the board internationally Mm -hmm. i i I, let's move on to jackson's maid adrian mcmanus she said,
2: "Oh, please do! I I'd love this. Yeah, please do.
0: Okay,
2: all this right. is an easy. Way clearly, home a from. fan
0: favorite, Adrian. If you're listening, you're you're, you're very popular amongst the fan community. Yeah.
3: It's one way of pissing it.
0: Well, look, yeah. she she stated that she would find Vaseline all over the house. And let me read to you what she said. McManus claimed on multiple occasions she saw Jackson with little boys in his bedroom where he kept a jacuzzi. Quote: Michael would have his underwear floating in the water." and the little boys' underwear floating in the water together. She said, quote, if if they weren't floating in the water, they were outside on the floor around the jacuzzi, so I would find stuff like that. With all the little boys, he would hold their hands, he would kiss them, and they would fight for Michael's love. It was a very strange environment to watch.
2: McManus uh, was an employee at the Neverland Ranch and uh, comes with... uh, significant, or as a witness with some heavy baggage, put it that way, and is part of the reason why uh, Jackson was acquitted on all 14 counts in the 2005 uh, trial. Um, Again, I have first witnessed uh, testimony. I I was there in the public gallery, so I got to see and hear her testimony. Um, McManus was also sued successfully by Michael Jackson for uh, theft of property from Neverland and also Now, let's just
0: clarify that that was a sketch, wasn't it, that she found in the trash?
2: Allegedly, yes. Yeah, and she, she was she fine that for
0: that. Well, it's not alleged because she herself has said, yes, I, I took that sketch. I found it for trash. I wish I never had. I wish I could go back in time. And she was she was uh, punished for that. But crucially, but, but, she
2: lost the case.
0: Yeah. But, Sam, if somebody has a checkered history, mm-hmm. does that mean we shouldn't believe them?
2: Again, you have to factor in the other the other uh, extenuating circumstances here. You have the, uh, the the monetary offer from hard copy uh, for her to make more and more salacious claims, uh, alleging that she had mm-hmm. seen. Macaulay carking being masturbated by Michael Jackson in the shower. Uh, for more money, she would say that uh, you know his hands were in it was uh, was in Macaulay's pants, and and for four hundred thousand, it would be that you know Michael was masturbating Macaulay And uh, again, you have to question the credibility when money, the motive is money, is 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 involved.
3: Annika, and could you want
2: to add to that?
3: Yeah. yeah so McManus um, did as well in a. In a deposition in, related, in relation to, I think the 1993 case, she she said that she'd never witnessed anything inappropriate, and first, that she trusted yeah. Michael. So she trusted Michael so much that she um, would have left her own son with
0: him. Now that was in '93, um, wasn't wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, and then when well, she was can I, let's just make sure it. we contextualise that, Annika. She she has later said that she initially. Uh, made defence for Michael because his bodyguards had threatened to slice her neck if she ever spoke about <laughs> it. I just,
2: you know, that has to be that, that alibi is, is crazy. if you believe that, then you're living in your own Neverland. I mean, come on, oh, they're,
0: they're,
3: Jordan Chan is yeah. living quite happily, know <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Let me elaborate. Further on what the maid has said, she said she became aware that when boys arrived at Neverland to stay, their clothes were put into a suitcase in Michael's bedroom. She said she became aware that some of these boys would wear his underwear and that she would find underwear so encrusted in cum that they were crunchy. She said Michael tried to buy her silence for $300. She said bodyguards threatened to slice her neck if she ever spoke about what she had seen. Um, I mean... These so th- are pretty elaborate a, accusations and observations, aren't they?
3: They are, but she, so in in she, another one of Michael's employees, um, when they were testifying in a civil trial back in the nineties, she, uh, this other employee, Francine, I, th- I think her name was o- Orozco or something like that. Um, she she testified along the lines that McManus asked her to say that she witnessed. Um, McManus being sexually abused um by I think another employee and she also said that um when she visited McManus um at her own home um McManus showed her all these things you know um sunglasses and posters and and all these other things that that she had taken stolen from Neverland um and you know McManus and her husband have previously I think also they were ordered to pay um something like somewhere along the region of $20,000 um, in another lawsuit um, where they were accused of theft. So, you know, this is someone who's got serious credibility issues. This is someone who clearly, um, you know, there's a money trail here.
2: You have to. You have to remember this. This woman took the stand in the 2005 case, and Tom Meser, or Michael Jackson's lawyer, uh, did bring up a number of incidents that make that the jurors may have seen as motives, including their participation in that lawsuit, where they lost and were ordered to pay Jackson 1.4 million in uh, a counterclaim for for items that they stole at Neverland. So uh, not only was her credibility just sh- torn to shreds, um, there, there is more than one motive, uh, not just the money. And obviously there's the, the, the revenge element as well from losing the court case. So um, there certainly is no shortage of motives to lie. and. To, All right.
0: uh, yeah. Let, let's hear from the maid.
4: I would walk in and there would be boys laying in his bed with him. I'd walk in his room. His underwears would be floating in the jacuzzi, in the water. He had a jacuzzi in his bedroom. They'd be floating in the water with the little boy's underwears. He said, you know what, Adrian? Um, if you ever go on a talk show or a TV show, we can hire a hitman. Have your neck slit. They'll never find your body. We can ha- hire a, a sniper to take you out.
0: Let's progress forward to leaving Neverland. Now, ne- leaving Neverland for those who are uninitiated, is the documentary uh, that was produced where two lads who had spent significant time with Michael as as boys claimed that they were sexually assaulted by uh, Michael Jackson. Now, I've heard fans say, well, why wouldn't they have participated in this documentary? They, they would have made uh, a fortune out of it. But the director has said that both Wade Robson and James Safechuck this is the quote, have no financial interest whatsoever and no future past or present interest. Is it fair to say that they participated in that documentary? Do fans accept that when they participated in that documentary, there was no financial gain?
2: There is absolutely a massive financial gain to be had by suing Michael Jackson's entities and companies before the statute of limitations uh, expires. and It is absolutely the number one motive. Leaving Neverland, many were hoping that this explosive, emotionally manipulative film would deliver the fatal blow to Michael Jackson's legacy and cancel him. Except it didn't. Many people rightly questioned the wild claims in this modern age of social media and it wasn't too difficult to poke glaring holes in this testimony, in both men's testimonies and identify huge inconsistencies in their stories of these two men.
3: And also perhaps they weren't paid for participating in the documentary but we don't know, were they paid for participating in all the subsequent interviews in the Oprah special in, you know, The numerous things that they did following on from that interview.
2: What we do know, what we do know, is that leaving Neverland never mentions that Wade Robson, one of the men involved, literally begged to get a position working with the Cirque du Soleil company for the Michael Jackson One tribute show in Las Vegas, a job he badly wanted and needed for money. Prior to Mm -hmm. suing the Michael Jackson Estate, he sent an email to the creative team at the MJ Estate to ask for the job. The moment he didn't get the MJ One show. He started to make four different bad stories about MJ and the claims of abuse, and also tried to peddle a book which was not taken by any publishers. Nobody started to buy that then, and only then did he begin to make the false accusations about Michael Jackson.
0: Why participate in a documentary, Wade and James? Why would they participate in a documentary where there is no financial gain evident? A revenge is what I am hearing from you, Sam.
2: About the no, no revenge is in reference to the uh, the former maid. Yeah, but you, you've you've it. also
0: said though that I'm I'm not referring to the maid. I'm talking about the statement you just made that when he was unsuccessful in getting a particular job, then all of a sudden he's participating in or wanting to make a book and participating. Isn't that revenge? No, so just died. Sorry. Oh,
3: there's there's like we as we've just said, there's possibly financial motivations outside of the documentary itself. Mm.
0: Um. Can yes. I be really honest with you both? I'm, I'm hearing on this point from both you, Annika, and Sam that you're perplexed about why Wade and James would participate in a documentary.
3: No, I, I'm not perplexed. My, I, I can't speak for them. I, all I can do is give you my opinion as to what I think. You've asked what could their motivations be.
0: I'm struggling myself to know why Wade and James would participate in a documentary with no financial benefit
2: but you uh, you, uh, you say no financial it? benefit, but they are. Let's you know. Let's not beat around the bush. They are currently pressing claims in the California courts against the Jackson Jackson Estates, and it's they could have done uh, that without making a documentary, hundreds, though. Well, hang on. But yes, because it's a precursor for the claim for hundreds of millions of dollars. HBO and Dan Reed, the producer, um, do not. Bother to point out that these men were caught lying under oath repeatedly in their litigation with Jackson's estate, and so you know if we, if, when we say that there is seemingly no financial gain, let's not kid ourselves. If the Jackson uh, estate are found liable for uh, these men's claims of abuse, they can and they will be awarded hundreds of millions of dollars potentially. So, so let the, me just
0: reflect back what I'm hearing, Sam. So you're saying that participating in the documentary was a scaffold. For a, uh, a subsequent lawsuit, it, it's, it it's create- not a
3: scaffold for a lawsuit, but it it it's a method of bolstering your claims. If, if the whole mm-hmm. if you can get the whole world to believe you, eventually, let's not let's not forget this case is going to be decided by a jury. Yeah. Okay. Now, what a great way to get your side of the story out there in the most emotionally manipulative way possible, because a courtroom is not going to be.
0: Immune, yeah. So well, I am hearing company. from you both, though, that this documentary, because look, the reason I'm pushing on this is because if I was making something up and uh, and participate in a documentary like that, again, with no direct financial gain from that project, and subject myself to worldwide international humiliation, um, gossip, innuendo, I need to understand what the mo- because. It seems clean, the motivation to me, if they haven't benefited. But from both of you, it sounds like you're, you're both suggesting it sets up uh, public persuasion in subsequent lawsuits. Well, you it, have to remember that. Sh- yeah, sorry, Annika, you go first.
3: It, it does. And it also, as, I, you know, as I've said a couple of times, the question was asked simply have they been paid for participating in this documentary? And the answer was given no. They did a lot of things, and there's a lot of ways to structure a payment. So that it's not directly for your participation in this documentary.
0: So you think that was secretly paid in some way? I, I'm
3: not even saying I'm not saying secretly, but the question they've been asked has been answered. Nobody has delved into this in any great detail. It is impossible for anyone to say they were not paid for this or for... In well, it's some not, kind it's of
0: not impossible, to be fair, Annika, because the director has made it possible. He said they have no past, current or future financial gain or interest in this film. It's not impossible at in, all. In
3: the film, yeah. But we like, as I said, <laughs> the they've film. done a lot of other things. There's no way to know whether they've been paid for that or not.
0: Can we look at Wade Robson in a bit more detail? So Robson said the abuse ranged from being forced to give oral sex to penetrative intercourse. This is a quote. Michael tried to penetrate me in the anus with his penis, trying for a while, and I guess was able to a bit but I was re- it was really too painful for me, so he stopped. Jackson described the abuse as how to show love, but insisted he would never tell anyone. Uh, being allegedly molested by the pop star, however, didn't feel strange because of the status Jackson held in Robson's eyes. He reflected during the interview with uh, The Guardian newspaper, he made me feel complicit, that I wanted it, at least as much, if not more, than him. And I also recall, as an addition to that, that Robson said he felt very much like Michael Jackson was a father figure.
3: He is lodging a lawsuit with the intention of coming out of this with a huge financial win. Huge. So he has to make these claims as disturbing as he can. Thus far, their claims have been thrown out of court multiple times for for various reasons. Just because he's saying something, it doesn't make it true. And he's got a huge motive to lie.
4: So moving my hands um, to touch his penis, uh, which, you know, was erect. Him talking to me, you and I were brought together by God. This is how we show our love. I mean, it escalated rapidly. So, taking showers together and, you know, fondling and kissing. So, him kissing me, I mean, like full open mouth, tongue in mouth, kissing. He would put my fingers on his nipples and, like, tell me to squeeze them. And he would moan and react to that like it felt good. And I liked the feeling that was making him happy, that was pleasing him, you know. And then Michael pulling my pants and my underwear down, pulling them off, and uh and going down and starting to, you know, perform oral sex on me, his mouth on on, on my, you know, seven year old penis. You know, quickly it turned into having me perform oral sex on him too. I mean, to be honest and to be graphic about it, like, you know, a full adult grown man-sized penis in my mouth, you know, in a little seven-year-old's mouth. He didn't ejaculate when he had me perform oral sex on him, um, but he used to, he would masturbate in front of me. He would have me kind of go to, like, the corner of the bed like a far corner of the bed so he'd be laying laying back on a pillow and have me go to the far corner of the bed and, and um, be on all fours and have me sort of just bend over my, my knees you know um, so he could look at my anus while he was masturbating and I was just kind of on display and then um Periodically through that, he would kind of come up and, um, and stick his tongue in, in my anus.
0: I don't know about either of you, but that is incredibly hard to listen to. Uh, he said that there wasn't a night that he was with Michael where they weren't sexual.
2: It is certainly more than lurid innuendo, isn't it? It's definitely designed to be emotionally manipulative, and that is exactly the point. To the average viewer watching that, they would have no reason to believe or to disbelieve Wade Robson. But thankfully, again, we live in an age of social media. And uh, contrary to expectations following that release of Leaving Neverland, the enthusiasm for all things Michael Jackson is not diminishing. Instead, it's gaining momentum and it serves as a clear message. Many people are not only dismissing the allegations, but they are also rightly scrutinizing them. Drew, due process on, Sam, in court. And that's Sam, well, Sam, hang, Sam, hang on, let me just, just to finish. Just to finish.
3: The scrutiny. <coughs>
2: Well, exactly that. Due process is important, as we have learned from the, for example, the Amber Heard-Johnny Depp case. These claims under cross-examination can and will crumble, as they did in 2005. Get them in front of that court case. I welcome a trial. I really do. It would hopefully be the final nail in the coffin to these accusations. And,
0: yeah. I don't want to stray too far, Sam, from talking about Wade, but, I mean, you said there that, you know, enthusiasm for Jackson As opposed to Wayne is on the rise. Come on, mate.
2: Well, let's look at the the facts of this one here.
0: Absolutely ridiculous. (laughs) This man's reputation is in tatters.
2: Well, let's well let's look at the facts. The Michael Jackson brand. If we just focus in on the art and the music, music, uh, music, music stream, Michael Jackson's brand has never been stronger. The Tony Award-winning Broadway show MJ is touring the world, receiving rave reviews, sellout shows, In the first year eleven eighty-five million dollars sold. Then there's the highly anticipated new Michael Jackson biopic coming out two thousand and five from the director of Bohemian Rhapsody. They then have the popular Cirque du Soleil show Michael Jackson One in Las Vegas. Michael Jackson last year in twenty twenty-three secured the position. Of the highest earning dead celebrity, even outselling many living yeah. popular artists.
0: Sam, so, Sam, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you. None mm-hmm. of that measures reputation. That just measures reputation? that his 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 musical um back catalogue and his estate is worth a lot of money. That's all that proves. But how do you measure reputation? You can certainly, I mean, honestly, I, I can't let that slide where you say that his his legacy is actually emboldened and better than ever. When clearly that is not the case. No, so the Michael Jackson brand
2: has never been stronger. Um, mm. So when I say brand, I'm referring to his popularity in terms of uh, sales. Uh, for many people, it's inextricably linked uh, for, for the for the. Um, What's the word I'm trying to say here? For the um, morality of his alleged crimes, for many people is too distasteful that they couldn't listen to to his music or or buy any any of his products. The fact that he is uh, so uh, widely received still well in this modern day and age is also quite a testament to the, the fact that people are simply not buying these accusations because there are so many inconsistencies and holes poked in the testimonies.
0: There was a limo driver, Stephen. He also claimed to have witnessed what he considered to be overly friendly cuddling and kissing in the back seat of the limo between Jackson and several different boys. Stephen told us about a woman named Norma Stacos, Jackson's personal executive assistant, as as I understand it. She's still very loyal to him, who arranged for busloads of underprivileged boys and girls to visit Neverland Ranch. On more, on more than one occasion, Stephen said he had personally seen groups of these kids arrive for a day of fun at the ranch, and he had observed... Michael selecting young boys who would become what the King of Pop referred to as his special friends. Stephen said he would watch as Stacos, the personal assistant, would approach the anointed children to request their home phone numbers.
3: So, again, this is just something that someone said, let's let's take a look at, let's examine this, okay? Yes, Michael did have busloads of Mm. underprivileged children visit Neverland, he created Neverland as much for hi- himself as he did f- to help others. He didn't have a childhood. It's, you know, it's one of the things he's spoken about many, many times. He didn't have a childhood and he fully f- sees and, and feels for other children who are in a similar position, be that through being underprivileged, um, you know, ill health, whatever the reason may be. So he regularly had busloads of underprivileged children come to Neverland where they could just be entirely free for a day or however long they were there for. Not one of these
1: anointed
3: children have come out to say that, to support this claim.
1: Yeah,
2: that's um, crucial.
3: Which And if, if there were so many of these anointed children, you would think that at least one might have come out and said, yeah, well, I was one of those who, you know, whether to support him or to make an accusation either way. We haven't heard from any of these anointed children.
0: Well, know, sorry, can... sorry, Annika. There, there are four people, four boys, who have said that they were molested by Jackson. If not five, I think actually. So that's that's and, not and, strictly and, true.
3: And many, many more. No, no, but these weren't these weren't part of. Sorry, I'm separating those that have made these allegations from these busloads of children of underprivileged okay. children. I'm talking about that group of people. Um, and all I'm pointing out here is. We cannot just t- just because this limo driver has said it doesn't make it true. And this this is the point with you've got to examine what people are telling you. So when you do delve into that further, okay, he's saying busloads of children have been brought in and some were anointed, okay, to use the language that he's using. How can we've never, if there's so many of these, how can we've never heard from any of them <clears throat> to say, yes, okay, I was one of these bust in children and yes, Michael selected me. And then following from that, either, no, nothing ever happened or, okay, something inappropriate happened. We've not had either way.
2: Um, what you're referring to there, the testimony from this Stephen and Norma Stacos is a testimony from the 2005 trial. Of course, Michael Jackson was acquitted on all 14 counts uh, in that particular trial. Um, <clears throat> again, in every example you've given from Terry George to um, to Brett Barnes, to the Gardner, the, the child psychologist, to Colkin, to Chandler, to, to Wade Robson, You've given their very lurid description of abuse, which again comes down to the crux of it. It is just their account of what they are saying has happened. When it comes down to cross-examining ev- evidence, that is where <clears throat> it matters. So yeah, get it in front of the trial. Get it I, when, when it was announced that this would be going to trial in... Uh, earlier this year, it was a sigh of relief for me because this has been ongoing for far too long. There is clearly a public Can interest in, you know, in ascertaining the truth
0: to this. Jackson said that he would never ever harm a child, and I've heard, I've watched all of his mm-hmm. interviews. I would argue, yeah. he says that repeatedly. I would never yeah. harm a child. I'd slip my wrist before I'd do such yeah. a thing. My question to you both is this, and it's always stood out to me. Is it possible that Jackson just doesn't see sexual contact between an adult and a child as harm?
3: So I'm not going to go into explicit detail over this because, uh, you know, I, I I respect his privacy. Michael knew 100%. He, he had no belief that sex with children is in any way acceptable. Um. I'm fortunate enough to be one of the people that Michael called. I've spoken to him a number of times on the phone. I've been to Neverland um, a number of times as well. So I've had, I've had enough interaction with him to have some idea of some of his beliefs. Did he ever mention any of this? Yes. Was it very clear where he stood on the topic? Yes. Yes. Having had those conversations, I'm still here defending him.
4: Sometimes amateurs know best, and a lack of professionalism is all you'll hear on the Time to Talk show. Join Tim and his panel of guests as they wade their way through a range of news, music, and pop culture treats. Time to Talk, the show hosted by amateurs for unprofessional listeners.
0: I've got to say this, Annika and Sam, I, I am absolutely, after listening to you for this period of time, I know that your hearts are in the right place. I know you, you're not defending something or well, believing it, but defending it. I know that. I know you're trying to come, come at this from logic. Let's talk about LaToya. Uh, LaToya, she says, I just think Michael needs help. She told reporters, this is many years ago. This has been going on since 1981, and it's not just one child. Latoya Jackson told reporters that she could no longer be a silent collaborator of his crimes against small, innocent children. If I remain silent, then that means I feel the guilt and the humiliation that these children are feeling, and I think it's very wrong. She also said in the news conference that she called, it's very famous, you can look it up on YouTube, that there have been uh, checks uh, monetary checks made out to the parents of children who she says were abused by her brother. This is the quote: "I've seen the checks, and I've seen the checks through my mother. She showed me these checks that Michael had written to these children, and it's for a great amount. I'm not speaking about pennies here; the sums are very, very large amounts." His own sister, guys.
2: Yes. And again, you've got to you've got to uh, evaluate both sides of this story here. To just put forward that one narrative, you have to also acknowledge that later uh, Latoya refuted her
0: statement and uh, rescinded that and made a public apology. Say again? Multiple times. She she, she has absolutely retracted everything she said Mm -hmm. in the 90s, multiple times.
2: Formally retracted on public record and also gave the the reason why um, at the time she was in a controlling abusive relationship with, a gentleman called Jack Gordon, and uh, it was Jack Gordon's monetary interest once again um, that fueled his uh, abuse, physical and emotional abuse of Latoya, and uh, prompted his. Uh, coercion to make her make those statements. LaToya has since retracted that many times publicly and has since uh, made amends with Michael before he died.
0: And and it needs to be made clear, she has said um, very recently that she doesn't believe her brother was a pedophile. But listen, back in the 90s, she said she also saw specifically a cheque for $1 million written out to the father of James Safechuck, who we're about to talk about. And this <coughs> was when James, or Jimmy as he was known when he was a yes. lad, was still a young boy. I just want us to listen to LaToya.
1: But I cannot, and I will not, be a silent collaborator of his crimes against small, innocent children. And if I remain silent, then I means that I feel the guilt and the humiliation that these children are feeling, and I think it's very wrong. I have seen checks payable to the parents of these children. I love Michael very dearly, but I feel even more sorry for these children because they don't have a life anymore. They don't. Now you stop and you think for one second and you tell me what 35-year-old man is going to take a little boy and stay with him for 30 days and take another boy and stay with him for five days and a room and never leave the room. How many of you out there are 35 years old? How many men are out there? How many would take little kids and do that that are 9, 10, 11 years old? I love my brother, but it's wrong. I don't want to see these kids hurt. I've been hurt by it too.
3: Yeah so a few things um on Latoya so firstly she was um married as as Sam mentioned to Jack Gordon it's very very important to note that Jack Gordon was uh, again as Sam has mentioned physically and emotionally abusive he he would beat her regularly he isolated her from her family he you know he he was known to have mob connections and he regularly threatened her that he would have her family killed or harmed if she didn't do as he said when the allegations came out it gave gordon this great opportunity also he thought um and as latoya herself has said he forced her to make certain statements he forced her to give certain interviews there was even one interview where um it, she had an earpiece p- on and he was telling her what to say to the questions um, and then in, in terms of the checks that she claimed to have seen, particularly the one to um, Safe Chuck, so if my memory serves me correctly, she cannot have seen these checks because they they predate, or her having seen them predates when Michael and, and James even became friends. Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah.
3: And to date, as far as I'm aware... The safe shops themselves haven't claimed that they were given any kind of hush money or anything like that.
1: That's they good. were.
3: He did give them a loan for a home. Yeah. Um, and he and he did forgive that loan. It was never repaid.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: But providing someone with a loan is very different to hush money.
0: Yeah. Well, it's as it turned reasons. out, it wasn't a loan. I, I just want to. Can we zoom in just for a moment on this? Concept that Latoya raised that comes up time and time again about Michael spending. We talk a lot about Michael uh, and his views about sharing a bed with children, and I sometimes I think it distracts from the the bigger issue that I keep hearing from multiple um, sources, which is that he didn't just spend one night. It would be multiple nights, like she just said, there five nights in a row, thirty nights in a row, and then if you want to dig further, other people say similar things. <laughs> How do you explain that, spending multiple nights with the door shut all alone in a hotel room, for example?
2: Well, it's interesting you should raise that point because uh, James uh, later, in leaving Neverland, gave a very graphic, detailed description of the abuse. In which case, uh, uh, he doesn't mention uh, being in the bed for either him or Wade for for thirty days at a time. In fact, what he does mention is that the abuse took place in the upper chamber, the attic, if you like, of the uh, train station at Neverland, and uh, he's very. Uh, very specific about the dates in which the abuse took place, uh, 1990. But thank God we have access to social media in this modern day and age. We were able to verify, and many of the fans in the community were able to verify from the planning permission in the Santa Barbara planning uh, department that the train station wasn't actually built until 1992. So, you know, this fictitious abuse story is, you know, again, this one of many inconsistencies and holes poked in the testimony that, you know, really begs further questioning there. You know, if you're giving quite a a, a lurid description of abuse and uh, describing the room in which it happened and the dates, then, you know, three years out is quite a significant time lapse.
0: Let's spend a moment on the train. This is huge in Michael Jackson's um, uh, defence community, if you'd like to call it that, and I I don't mean any disrespect in calling it that, Um, that because James uh, Safechuck has given apparently an incredible timeline about the abuse. And one of the comments he's made is about um, some of the abuse happening upstairs of this train station. Yeah. And fans are very delighted to point out that the, the documentation and the paperwork would suggest that it didn't even exist or it hadn't been finished. Yeah. But there are multiple sources that say that regardless of this paperwork it might have been there a lot sooner because it was done without counsel or the, the, the proper authority. And I can read you one thing and then you can respond to it. This is from um, Harrison Funk, I think his name is. My um, eyes are yes. terrible. Yeah. A former Jackson photographer, they, made inadvertently re- they inadvertently revealed during a podcast in uh, 2019 that that train station might have been there. This is what he said. They gave him a really hard time about the train too. And I remember this is council he's talking about. And I remember that they built the train station. I went up there to photograph the property and um, he wasn't there and I was up there for photographing the statues. He had animals placed on the lawn in front of the train station, in front of the train station there's one of the key comments. I was up there for 3 days just photograph photographing statues in situ and also the train station and I get a message to call him, Jackson. And he said don't photograph the train station. I said, why? And he said, just don't photograph the train station. I said, okay. And then he calls me back and he says, I need to talk to you, but I can't talk on this line because I don't know who's listening. And apparently he didn't want that train station photograph because he put it up without a permit. Initially, he was fighting with the county or whatever it was, Of course, they let it be there. I think, you know, whatever he had to do to make it stay, he made it stay. It was beautiful. It was an absolutely beautiful building. I think it's still there today. I mean, that's a compelling story. Doesn't that counter this whole idea that James is making up the train station?
3: So so there are some videos and pictures taken from, like, 1993 uh, to show that the train station wasn't there. Yeah, aerial photographs. Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's, And that's, you know, harrison funk could have been mistaken with his dates or you know anything like that but the aerial the photography is the photography we've got images of that um and even if even if the train station (coughs) let's say it was there again this is i've been there um it's a very open area it's there's there's no alarms or there's no there's nothing there that if you were going to abuse someone, let's put it this way, if you were going to do something criminal, you wouldn't do it there. It's very open. Anyone's walking. People are walking in and out all the time.
0: Another source that says it may have been there is Frank Cassio. I'm sure you're both aware of him. Yes. Michael's friend mm. still is. Is that right? I think he's still mm-hmm. a defender. Yeah. He talks about a visit to Neverland in the spring of 93 and he notes and describes for train station.
2: Ninety three, yes, but you have to remember James's um, testimony and specific testimony in Leaving Neverland alleges that the assault took place between the years nineteen eighty seven and nineteen ninety, and of course the train station itself wasn't completed until late ninety three. This is really important,
0: Sam, because that's not the dates I have. He said between the ages of. 10 to 14, didn't he?
2: Uh, He says November 1987, if I'm not mistaken, to January 1990, with the train station. Well, I'm going with his
0: ages. He was born in 78. Oh, I'm sorry. And I'm sure he says, uh, I could be wrong. So please, anyone correct me, and you can both, or listeners. Hmm. Um, uh, He was born in 78, I know that. I believe he said the abuse went from the ages of 10 to the ages of 14, which would bring it up to 93. So it is conceivable. That if the train station was there in '93, that an episode of abuse happened in ah, that. but you have to location. remember. In
2: it, we, we have the we have the uh, the wonderful document uh, in the Leaving Neverland documentary, which you know is you can verify yourself if you watch it. He specifically mentions the date, and he also specifically references the bad tour in which he claims that he was uh, with Michael, which he was. Uh, travelling Europe and and North America Um, and it's during that period, 1987, that Michael was on tour, so we can be sure that when he talks about the abuse and he mentions November 1987, he said that the abuse continued for many years to 1990. The difference between 1990 and 1994 is four years. It's not an imperfect recall of a memory, this is outright lying. James never claimed that the abuse in the train station happened on a specific date. He gave the years in the documentary so we can be sure, and we know It was
3: document. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think in his court documents, I think even even if you're looking at that 10 to 14 age period, I think he said 88 to 92, but even that's before the train station was built.
2: Still two years, yeah. Still two. And not only that, he said he was abused in the castle as well. And the, uh, many ex-employees have claimed that there are no beds even in this castle section. So I, I don't know what he's referring to, but to my
0: knowledge, there's no castle. <laughs> You'd both um, be aware, Sam and Annika, as parents, that victims of abuse... Uh, it's it, it's it's a high likelihood that they can get detail wrong, right? Four years. I take your point that there might be some inconsistencies here, yeah. but you're both aware that inconsistencies in testimony from sexual abuse survivors is common? You're aware yeah. of this? So is it possible that maybe James meant the train room? Let me say it's an interesting article published in uh, 1992 by Rolling Stone, mm-hmm. and here's a direct quote from the website. Uh, the train room was a nar- had a narrow staircase leading up to the train room, half of which is filled with an elaborate uh, Lionel train set. In addition to the trains on the track, there are more in unopened boxes on the floor. Another part of the room is covered with race car tracks. Standing against the walls are larger-than-life Simpsons cardboard cut- cutouts, Roger Rabbit displays, along with an ET video display packed with copies of the tape, Peter Pan and Mickey Mouse and Bambi Quilts lie on the floor. Uh, this is what Jackson says. The kids have, uh, sorry, one of Jackson's employees says the kids have slumber parties up here. Is it possible that James has mixed up a train station with a train room? So there's, of there's two
3: points to that. There's, you know, there's a big difference between a, a station and a memorabilia effectively you know a model railway room and he he's making this claim as an adult he knows the difference between a train station and you know a model railway room but okay fine the other thing is if if that was the error that was made when when dan reed went on his interview spree to address this very point why didn't he just say that actually i've spoken to james and clarified it with him and he's he's clarified that that what he what he was referring to was this, you know, model railway room rather than the actual train station. Instead, he goes into a narrative about oh, the dates of abuse must be wrong, or you know, he, he which essentially purges his own star witness because in his court documents he's specifically claiming other dates. Um, so he he's not questioning the location the location was accepted it was the dates must be wrong mm. um and that's a very easily easy clarification to make if that was if that was the mistake james you know james could have said it himself as well okay yeah i've made this very simple mistake um and the other thing just to note as well mm. just on the timeline here let's not forget that michael left to go on his dangerous world tour the dangerous world tour began um 27th of june 1992 so he wasn't even there from that yeah. point onwards yeah. mm. so that's
2: crucial you know
3: to say that he was then abused in 93 in the train station is it's probably unlikely given he wasn't really there
2: and you have to also factor in, you know, if this was an isolated in, in, uh, incident, then you could understand you could James could be forgiven for a, a lapse in his memory when it comes to dates. Fine, but this is a, this is a one of what potentially is seventeen major inconsistencies that fans have been able to identify in the Leaving Neverland documentary, which do warrant further investigation. There are so many I could pick out a few, um, but it's really important to subject this to the court of uh, of law and uh, due process yeah. is the only well, way to really effectively answer these questions.
0: There's certainly ambiguity on the point of uh, where some of this abuse took place. Let's go to James's uh, testimony. The first incident of sexual abuse, according to his testimony, happened during the Paris portion of the BAD tour mm-hmm. in June 1988. At the time, Michael Jackson was 29 years old and the plaintiff was 10. Michael Jackson introduced the plaintiff to masturbation by telling him that everyone does it. Michael Jackson and plaintiff were together in Michael Jackson's room at the hotel The in Paris. It was dark in the room. Michael Jackson told the plaintiff that he was going to change the plaintiff's life by showing him how to masturbate. Michael Jackson showed the plaintiff how to masturbate himself by first demonstrating on himself and then the plaintiff after that. Then together they masturbated um, where the plaintiff's penis swelled up. Michael Jackson guided the plaintiff in putting his penis into a glass of warm water so that the swelling would go down and allow him to urinate. On another occasion during the Bad Tour in 1988, Michael Jackson kissed the plaintiff's genitals. On this and subsequent occasions, Michael Jackson had plaintiff rub and suck Michael Jackson's nipples while he masturbated himself. Michael Jackson liked to have the plaintiff bend over on all fours, and then Michael Jackson would grab the plaintiff's butt cheeks and spread them apart with one hand and masturbate himself with the other. Michael Jackson referred to this activity as selling me some because Michael Jackson would give the plaintiff jewellery after he did this as a reward. The plaintiff still has some of the jewellery Michael Jackson gave him after he was abused by him, which included a necklace with a medallion bearing Michael Jackson's face. Now, the, the, this, is important, um, this is an important note, that in the documentary, years after that, his story is still consistent with that testimony.
3: There, there are some consistencies but there are a lot of inconsistencies but also you know look, look at this look at this logically if you're making a claim for hundreds of millions of dollars your story has to be somewhat consistent this isn't it's not the case that they've made these claims and then the next day people are questioning them you know really investigating these claims and and trying to delve into them this is something that's been going on for years this is something that they have gone over and over and over and over with their lawyers mm-hmm. until they've reached a point where you know they, they've put these claims down in writing they've this isn't something that they've just done overnight like i said and then been tested they, they have practiced this over and over again they with the um with leaving neverland they manipulatively reshot certain scenes certain of the most harrowing scenes mm-hmm. they reshot them but it was done in such a way as to try and make the viewer believe it was all done in one shoot dan reed was forced to admit that they were reshot almost 18 months later
2: that <laughs> dan reed is the producer of leaving neverland for those who don't know it's it's also yes. really important that you know both men's lawsuits james Saipchuk and Wade Robson have both uh, amended and tweaked the details with every new petition to the to, uh, to the California courts. This is not a a, a a testimony that's remained consistent for 16 mm. years. This is a testimony which has been tweaked time and time again. In fact, uh, Wade, like version
3: I'm, 11 or something now.
2: Well, Wade Wade himself uh, was ordered to. Uh, provide unredacted copies of his emails to his own mother which talked about the alleged abuse and he refused to give the court this uh, this evidence and later he was ordered to and when he provided it, it was clear why he had withheld that that evidence because in it he is constructing and, and uh, weaving a narrative with his own mother about the alleged abuse to get the story straight, to practice, to rehearse, to coach. So that he could be sure. And there's that-
1: even
3: an instance in that where he highlights something to his mum, and he says, "Did this ever happen?" And she says, "No." And he still uses it.
2: Still uses it. Yeah,
0: yeah. James was asked uh, why he originally, because both he and Wade originally said no, nothing ever happened when they were when they were uh, younger, and he has stated that he was simply scared of being caught, and he was ashamed. Let's hear from James.
4: And I say married because we had this mock wedding ceremony. We did this in his bedroom. And we, like, filled out some vows. It's like we're bonded forever. It felt good. And the ring is nice. I was really into jewelry. And he would reward me with jewelry for doing sexual acts for him, he would say um, that I need to sell him some so that I can earn the gift.
0: Would you both accept that at, at the very least, in all the stories that we're hearing, there is a really clear pattern of grooming, gifting, um, the graduation of the abuse, starting with cuddling starting with uh, then progressing to kissing on the cheek, kissing on the mouth, touching. All these stories are fairly consistent.
3: Again, all these stories have been rehearsed. All these stories, they've not come out overnight. This is this is something that's been rehearsed for a long time. And
2: also in the public um, domain as well from the previous cases, yeah. It's not new news. Exactly.
3: Exactly. Yeah. These, these have been constructed. There is There is a motivation here of hundreds of millions of dollars potentially to be won. Now, if you think of what people pick up a newspaper, people will kill each other for a £100, okay? People will, you know, run over their own mothers for pennies. Mm -hmm. So what do you think they're going to do when there's hundreds of millions of dollars at stake here?
0: Detectives, (laughs) social workers, clinical psychiatrists specialising in pedophilia, they're not motivated by money. No, but they're equally Wade Robinson, so they're... <laughs> James Safechuck participated in a documentary with for no financial gain
3: that we it's... are aware of,
4: mm. but
3: with the financial gain of the lawsuit Absolutely. hanging over them. That's that's the end game here. The documentary is not the end game. All of this, all of this extra stuff. These are not the end game. If it was, they could have done all this without. The reality is, Michael's not here. Let's say he did do this. Michael's not here. So no matter what they do. He's not going to pay for it.
2: You've got to remember in 1993, James Safechuck testified under oath that Jackson never sexually abused him. He did not make allegations against Jackson until 2014. You know, 20 years later, Robson's lawyers equally by his side gave TV interviews to say no abuse took place. He obviously was under oath as well-documented defended Jackson under under some really quite fierce cross-examination by the prosecution. Um, Macaulay Culkin, for example, again, has often been cited as a Jackson victim, but has repeatedly reaffirmed that Jackson did no untoward behaviour towards him. I mean, how much does it... Uh, and, and, been, and Wade uh, Robson,
3: yeah. sorry, uh, I was yeah. just going to say that Wade Robson, he was a defence witness. Now imagine if you had sexually abuse someone and you were on trial for this why would you pick of all the people that Michael's known and all the friends that he's had why would he allow Wade Robson to be on that witness list as a defense witness knowing that I've done x y or z to him why wouldn't you pick someone else that you hadn't done anything to
0: Potentially because he knew he had groomed Wade Robson so well that he was still under his spell at that point. It is not uncommon, Sam and Annika, for child abuse victims to disclose the abuse as adults. It is not uncommon.
3: He was an adult in 2005. He was an adult. It was a huge risk. If you've abused someone whilst you're he was Literally. not a parent, though.
0: He was not a parent. Things In his description, things really crystallised, as you would both know because you're parents, when he looked into the face of his child, that's when things started, and that is a very, very common story for people who've experienced abuse. Once but they become e- a parent, even, the world changes.
3: <clears throat> but even if that's Wade's perspective, if you're Michael Jackson, you know hundreds of people, having Wade there or having ex-other boy there that you were friends with wasn't going to make any difference in terms of if the testimony is going to be the same. Wade didn't add anything for being Wade. It was the fact that, you know, I was friends with Michael, nothing ever happened. There's any number of people that could have testified to that.
0: All right. Let's let's progress to a witness then. So Philip Lamarque, I think you pronounce it, he was a Neverland manager. During his testimony, Philip described how he once witnessed Michael Jackson groping Macaulay Culkin. It happened at 3.30 or 4.00 one morning, Lamarque said, when he was uh, roused out of bed by a radio call from security that informed him, quote, "'Silver Fox wants some French fries.'" Which, by the way, is a quick aside. I love that. Recognising Jackson's codename, the cook took his uh, out of bed to prepare the order. When the fries were ready, he asked security where to deliver the tray and was directed to the arcade building. For example, Lamarque told the jury it was his duty at one time to travel to the local Toys R Us store and pick out toys for boys. Whatever was appropriate for 10 to 12-year-old boys. Um, all right, so this let me give you his quotes before you respond. He yep. quoted, Michael was playing with Macaulay Culkin on one of those games, which was a thriller video game, and he was holding the kid because the kid was small and couldn't reach the controls. So I guess he was holding him with two hands. And what did you see that upset you? He, his left hand was inside the pants of the kid. I want you to tell the jury specifically how his hands were configured on the boy's body he was prompted. Well, his right hand was holding the kid maybe mid waist, and his left hand was down into the pants. Were his hands as far as you could tell on the inside or the outside of the shorts? They were inside, he replied. As far as the exact location of his hand, could you see where his hand was in the vicinity of mister McCauley's uh, person? Well, it was in the you know, it was in the crotch area, he replied. And when you saw this, what did you do? I was shocked, he said. I almost dropped the French fries. Uh He was asked, did you ever report anything to authorities? No, he clipped. Why not? Because nobody would ever have believed us. Michael was on top of everything then. And if we had come and said this to the police, they would have said, what kind of proof do you have? So we couldn't. I mean, this just wasn't possible. What's his motivation?
2: Money. Lamarck worked at Neverland for a brief period in the early 90s, um, about him and his wife, um, up till about 1991 so before the Jordan Chandler accusation so around about two years um, he was a witness in the 2005 case and um, they first reached out to to hard copy in order to sell the story. They had a broker, they had an agent, Paul Barresi, mm-hmm. and Paul Barresi told uh, Philip Lamarck that he could get up to $500,000 for the story if they said, and only if they said that Michael's hands were inside the pants. On the stand, however, Philip Lamarck took the stand in 2005 and said, he said uh, nothing about witnessing anything about other boys or abuse taking place.
0: There's a lot of witnesses that. You allege uh, motivated by money. There's a lot, but there's a there's a, there's there's a paper trail for this one. Yeah,
3: yeah, and um, and he with the um the Baresi situation. Beresi, I believe, offered them like a hundred thousand dollars or something, and then they they tried to up that to five hundred thousand dollars um for the story. And at no point did they take this to the authorities, even after. Um, The 93 allegations came out. And then when Macaulay Culkin himself was asked about this, he said categorically, it did not happen.
0: Mm. You'd both be aware of Jason Francia, the son of a former Jackson maid. (laughs) Mm -hmm. In 1993, he told police that Jackson had touched his penis. I'd like to read exactly what he said. I was wearing shorts, he testified. He reached on my leg and he reached up and into my privates francia who was at this point 24 testified that jackson started tickling him while he sat on the singer's lap and that quote i tickled him back and then we went to the floor tickling still and it eventually moved down to my little private region around my crotch area a year later when he was eight he said a similar incident occurred When asked if he knew at the same time that something inappropriate had occurred, he answered quote, yes and no. No, because it's all fun and supposed to be innocent and you're having fun and you're a little kid. And yes, because it's just not right. Francia also testified that every time I was being tickled, there was some sort of exchange of money. He also testified that his mother, Blanca, reached out an out-of-court settlement with Jackson for $2 million in 1993.
2: So Jason Francia uh, took the stand in the 2005 trial. Um, He claimed initially that he was improperly touched. Um, However, he later on the stand uh, claimed that he was coerced into um, making these uh, accusations. The audio tapes of the police transcripts in this 1993-1994 interviews reveal how the investigators from the Santa Barbara Police Department pressured and led him to create allegations against Michael. And these tapes were played in the um, in, in the court and they're available to read in the transcripts. So he very quickly blamed, or shift blamed, uh, to the police prosecutors and in, in claiming they, they coerced him to make these accusations. And the police officers used these interviews as textbook examples of improperly suggestive interrogations, which were, by Jason's own admission, not what he was trying to convey in the interview. So um, he completely refuted the claims of abuse on the stand. Um, you
3: know, but with the settlement, I think one thing, one thing that keeps cropping up in relation to these allegations, and, and we haven't yet touched on it, but yeah. if I may, I'll, I'll bring it up now, is sure. the settlement of the Jordan Chandler allegations. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I think it people simply do not understand why he settled. And there is a very, very good reason. Mm. They filed a civil lawsuit. Now, as you know, a civil lawsuit, the end result is usually some form of compensation, Versus a criminal lawsuit, where if you are found guilty, uh, the end result is jail.
2: Judicial
3: in most cases. Um, So there was the civil lawsuit was proceeding, and there was also a criminal investigation leading up to a criminal lawsuit at the Mm -hmm. same time. The problem was that. The civil lawsuit was going to end up going first, and Michael would have been required to give depositions, make statements, and in essence, divulge his defense to mm-hmm. defend in the civil lawsuit. Had that happened, his entire defense would have been laid out for the prosecutors to see, prior to the civil criminal trial, which was arguably much more important mm-hmm. Before that actually went to trial, which meant that the prosecutors could build their case around his defence and thereby completely eliminate his right to a fair trial. When he settled the 1993 allegations, let's be 100% clear here, all he did was settle the civil case. Mm-hmm. You cannot legally settle criminal or allegations. or possible, You yeah. cannot do that. You cannot settle a criminal case. They settled the civil to allow the criminal to proceed Mm -hmm. fairly.
2: But Annika, tell tell them why the criminal case did not proceed. Why did the criminal case not proceed? The
3: the Chandlers decided not to proceed with
2: that. There you go. go.
3: They got their money from the civil and they decided, we've got no interest in justice. That's not something that's up for debate. It's a fact. They settled Mm -hmm. the uh, the civil case to allow the criminal to go ahead the Chandlers decided not to pursue it.
2: Refused to testify, yeah. And also in the 2005 case, he refused to testify, Jordan Chandler. They, They tried to get him to testify against Michael, and he said no.
0: In fact, he left the country so that he could not testify. If Jordan Chandler, as an adult now, if he was to tell his story and confirm that abuse did occur, would you believe him?
3: It, he almost doesn't really have an option to say anything else, does he?
0: The, the repeating argument here is that money is a motivating factor. Clearly mm-hmm. it wouldn't be for him now. He must be an extremely wealthy man. Uh, so to tell his story, possibly in solidarity with those others who have come forward and told theirs, if he was to do that, surely you would both have to see him as a very credible person. Well, he's I had- would
3: certainly be interested in what he has to say.
0: Yeah. yeah. And
3: again, anything he has to say would need to be reviewed and, and tested mm-hmm. f- to determine the truth of it because he he still has motivation to lie because if he suddenly comes out and, and then was to, if if he doesn't say that, then he was lying then. Or if he does, we just, you know, it makes him a liar either way. Mm-hmm. So he's he almost has to stick to his original story.
0: Let's talk about Conrad Murray, his doctor, Michael Jackson's doctor, and the man legally responsible for Michael's death. Mm -hmm. In 2013, he, I think it was an interview with an Australian, um, uh, 60 Minutes I think it was, he refused to rule out that Michael was a pedophile. um, No matter what's happened between Conrad and Michael, there was a very intimate relationship. I've read Conrad Murray's book. They certainly um, knew each other intimately. What do you think about the fact that he refuses to rule this out? And he also claims to be such a close friend and advocate of Michael. Michael still talks to him as a ghost. He won't deny the pedophilia.
3: Okay. I mean, we. I think his claims or anything he says can be looked at from the point of view of exactly what you've just said. This is a man who claims that the man he killed is still talking to him as a friend, as a ghost.
4: Uh, okay, I,
3: I'm going to take everything he says in the way that I take that claim, but but to address the point, why would his overall okay? Conrad Murray was Elizabeth Taylor is a friend. She's categorically said Michael's not a paedophile. So why why would you question? Why would we? Why is Conrad Murray's opinion on this even relevant? What has he, what has Conrad Murray? Got?
0: Elizabeth Taylor might have been a close friend. But she wasn't in a vantage point where she could have seen what Dr. Conrad Murray may or may not have seen. But all
3: Conrad, the reason Conrad Murray was there and the reason Michael died at the end was because of his problems with sleeping. Conrad Murray was there literally to put him to sleep. So what opportunity would he have had to see anything? Because if he's putting Michael to sleep in a bedroom, there's, let's say Michael is a paedophile, if he's, got a doctor there to put him to sleep, he's not going to have a boy there because he's not going to be able to do anything with him anyway.
0: I'm not talking so about that, Annika. You- I'm, I'm more talking about the drug-induced conversations, of which there were many, according to his book. And uh, Conrad Murray, he certainly didn't write about this in his book, but he has said in an interview that he has shared conversations with Michael that if he shared would explode the world, would ignite the world, I think was the expression he used. But is it telling...
2: Sorry, I just to interject. Uh, isn't it telling that uh, Conrad Murray uh, shares the audio recording of Michael when he's heavily sedated? And even under the yeah. influence, all Michael can do is talk about building a children's hospital from the proceeds of a This Is It tour. You have to remember... Uh, call, I hesitate I, I to call him a doctor because, of course, he had his license stripped from him. But Murray was, uh, had only met Michael in 2006, three years prior to his, to his death. So if he really has salacious details, you have to question, you know, uh, how much he has gleaned in the space of three years before his death. It's not like Murray knew Michael since the early 90s. Um, so, yeah, take it with a pinch of salt.
0: Let's not spend exactly. too much time on him. Um, what about Kasim Abdul? who worked at Neverland as the head of security. Jar in hand, Kasim said he and Ralph Sharkon entered the main house and delivered the Vaseline, which had been requested <laughs> by Michael Jackson, to the master bedroom suite. When Michael Jackson opened the bedroom door for his head of security, Shakon, I'm probably mispronouncing that, apologies, sure, yeah. noticed his boss was, quote, sweaty and his pyjama bottoms were open. There were children, two young boys in the room with Jackson. Jordan Chandler was one of them. The bedroom door quickly closed and a Abdul and Chacon returned to their posts disturbed about what they had seen. Kasim was also given a lie detector test by authorities, but the outcome was inconclusive as at the time he was taking medication known to interfere with polygraph tests. What's his motivation to tell Fibs?
2: Lamarck, Kachon, Qasim. And McManus were the four uh, plaintiffs in the case that Michael Jackson successfully countersued for in the early 90s. Um, they were four uh, previously employed Neverland employees who uh, made a joint suit against michael jackson so um when you list all of these there certainly gives the appearance that there is some sort of consistent story with a number of witnesses all of whom appear to be independent of each other but they aren't um, they are all well
0: if if these people are in cahoots with each other and they've cross-referenced and decided to you know make some money which is essentially what you're saying here why on earth if you were going to hatch a plot like that would you come out with these little tidbits, I saw him hugging, I saw him kissing, I saw him petting, I saw a hand in a crotch. If you were really going to do what you're suggesting, which is bring a man down and make as much money in the process as possible, why wouldn't you say I walked in and saw him doing uh, completely intimate sexual acts? None of them have said that. They've all talked about the the more grooming behaviours. I don't understand if you're right that this is a conspiracy, why on earth they'd be so light in their detail. (laughs) Something because, <laughs> and Everybody it's also would.
3: easier. It's mm-hmm. also easier to make these vague claims. Oh, they were hugging. It's easier to be vague than it is to give certain details, especially if you're not telling the truth. Like you, they're not you know,
0: vague, Annika. I don't. Mean. I don't accept that. They're not vague at all. They're very very descriptive in what they saw. I just read something to you, so they opened the door and they described exactly what they saw. If they were trying to make money out of it, why wouldn't they say they opened the door and they saw the three of them you know, penetrating each other? But they were sex? trying to
2: make money from it, though. That's the key point that we're trying to make here. Blanca Francia, one of the four plaintiffs suing Michael Jackson for alleged abuse, uh, mm-hmm. laughed on the stand in 2005 after she admitted she had lied in a 1993 deposition. All of them had zero credibility. Why would they have an axe to grind what is the motivation? Well, they were fired. They were fired for theft. Of course, they have an axe to grind. In, uh, many of them were fired, for, uh, filed for bankruptcy. So you have to question the motive. And usually, and also, the
3: all these people, all mm-hmm. these people—they're they're actually this particular group. There are actually five of them, and um, they were called the Neverland Five, who, who were countersued by by Michael and, and who lost. But all these people who. Made these claims, not one of them went to the authorities. Not mm-hmm. one. And even if they want to use excuse, oh, who would have believed us? Well, one, if there's a group of you saying it, all of all, you know, individual people who have witnessed these things, you're going to be taken seriously by the authorities. And two, after the 1993 claims were made, there's a hell of a lot of people that are going to take you seriously.
1: Absolutely. But not
3: one it. of them went to the authorities. What they did do was go to the tabloid and negotiate <laughs> their stories and negotiate amounts that they would get paid for those stories.
0: Mm. Let's talk about Gavin Arvizo now. He was he featured in the the Martin Bashir documentary. Many people around the world saw him holding hands and and uh, describing how he slept in the same bed with Michael and that it was innocent. Uh, have you watched his interview with police? Either yeah. one of you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let let me just go through that. The trial uh, ended with Jackson's acquittal on all counts. Jackson was charged with molesting Arviso, plying him and his brother, Star, with wine and conspiring to hold the family against their will. In the footage of the police interview, Arviso, who was suffering from kidney cancer when he first met the Beat It singer, details what he claims happened to him when he was with Jackson in February and March 2003. 2003. Avizo says in the footage, quote, he showed me, he wanted to show me how to masturbate. Then I said no, and he said he would do it for me. When the detective asks if Jackson did it for you, the boy remains silent and looks shocked. In another segment of the video, Aviso tells cops, he started masturbating me. I told him I didn't want to do that. I told him not to do that. The detective then asked, did he stop? Avizo said he kept doing it. Why Why wouldn't either one of you believe? Gavin, when he talks about this uh, incident of masturbation and other episodes of abuse?
2: Because having been present in the public gallery and watched the opening and closing statements, I can be certain that uh, a lot of the testimony was uh, very clearly contradicted by uh, evidence. One of the most harrowing things that I witnessed in that courtroom was uh, the projector. There was a briefcase located in Neverland of Michael Jackson's heterosexual porn collection. And Gavin Arvizo would argue that Michael would use the porn collection in order to arouse him to perform these masturbation acts. And in one particular occasion, under cross-examination, Gavin Arvizo was shown a copy of Hustler's Berlin Eagle magazine. And I remember distinctly because it was a blue cover with this blonde girl on the front. It looked very young. And Gavin was asked, was this the magazine that Michael showed you? And Gavin said, yes. And they said, well, how can you be sure it was this magazine? And Gavin said, I remember the cover. I remember the colour. I remember the girl. I remember what she was wearing. They then asked Gavin to describe how Michael would show him and how he would use the magazines in order to abuse. And at the end, Tom Mesereau, Michael Jackson's uh, attorney, stood up and said, would you please read me the date on the front of the magazine? And it was determined that the magazine was printed, only begun to be printed, uh, five months after the last time that Gavin Abiso had left Neverland. So it was simply not possible that it was shown this magazine. It was one of many examples where there were clear inconsistencies in the testimony. All of these add up to an overall credibility issue.
3: And this this is the thing, to answer your question about why we wouldn't believe them. When it's not the case... um, and certainly for me, and I'm sure Sam would agree, that an allegation gets made against Michael Jackson, and we're like, oh, he's innocent. That's not the case here. An allegation gets made, and I'd say we're probably more interested than anyone to know what is behind this, what is going on here. Your instinct might be, okay, he can't have done that, but logic says i need to look at this i need to understand what this person is saying why they're saying it mm-hmm. you do that research you you put the time you put the effort in and we did pre trial during the trial and thereafter with with the arviso claims before the trial a lot of information came out that enabled us to make our judgments as to whether we believed the claims that they were making um you know i came to the conclusion that Michael didn't do this. Sam obviously came to the same conclusion and we defended him on that. Then we, then we, I was also at the trial and, and in court for some of the days as well. And we were able to watch firsthand this trial unfolding. And subsequent to that, the trial tra- transcripts are available. If you read those trial transcripts, again, you can see the evidence, you can follow the case in detail, you can listen, not listen, you can read the testimony of the accusers, you can read the cross-examination. And it's based upon all of this that we don't believe what they're saying. Mm -hmm. I I really want to be clear on this as well, because it goes to my own credibility. Mm -hmm. I have no interest at all either from an artistic point of view or from a moral point of view or from any kind of point of view, to support anybody who I think could have done this to any child.
0: Okay. I, and, and I accept that. But let, let's go back to to Gavin. Mm-hmm. Rejo Jackson, who I think is a cousin, right? He was 12 years Sorry, old at the time. A cousin or a nephew? Rejo, R-I-J-O. He's Michael's young cousin. Now, he testified that when he was 12, he actually observed Gavin and his younger brother Star masturbating in a guest cottage at Neverland whilst watching naked women. Uh, Jackson wasn't present. That's uh, that was the point. He was up there to sort of say, "Well, I saw this," and Michael wasn't anywhere to be seen. So, if we take that testimony as um, as truthful, sure, it might say that it might evidence that Michael wasn't there on that occasion. But doesn't it show that there was? sexual shenanigans going on on neverland these two boys apparently were all over the place um that's been reported by many witnesses they were all, like considered mischievous to say the least but this cousin rejo i believe that's how you pronounce it observed rio, them. i
3: think um
0: oh, right, rio so pr- but he, he he saw these two masturbating with pornography my question is this is it okay if that is true that Michael would create an environment where children are not supervised at that young age, have access to pornography. Certainly in Australia, that would be considered negligence and actually would be investigated by social services. Ah, Isn't isn't he the responsible adult in that situation?
3: so So you've got a lot of reports and a lot of testimonies just talking about how disruptive and irresponsible, rude, and obnoxious these boys were on the property a lot of time michael wasn't even there now this is michael jackson's home i'm sure in most well i don't want to say most in a lot of people's homes um especially you know pre mobile phones and you know having access to everything just on your mobile phone but predating that um a lot of people's pornography collections were going to be magazines, videos, CDs, whatever they have, and it would be at somewhere, you know, hidden under the bed or, you know, tucked away in a cupboard at the back of, you know, underneath some clothes or something. How many kids have come across their parents, you know, stash of whatever? Yeah. Annika, I really, I, I really appreciate,
0: I truly appreciate the comparison you're trying to make. But let me, let me give you a scenario. Let's say that some uh, children came into your home Mm -hmm. and you were absent and so they could help themselves to the liquor cabinet, they could help themselves to the pornography, they could help themselves to anything they damn well wanted and they could run ragged. Aren't you responsible for that as the adult who is not in the home supervising?
3: No, you're not. Even if I'm in the home, so if I'm in my house and let's say I've got nieces, nephews, whatever, come over to stay, stay with me, I'm not on top of them every second that would you leave the house. home
0: though would you leave the home and go for, for you know days on end as in this but, testimony it seems but, to be these kids were unsupervised but,
3: but their parents were around
0: well were there's they other, I mean that's a question adults. we don't know mm-hmm.
3: well it, it, with Gavin and star most of the time the parents were around and and yeah. there's other adults on so the property was, don't yeah. he' you know there's staff there there's he wasn't there in isolation it's a very different environment but even if even if he was there when they were there like I said if someone's in your house you know if you've got family in your house you're not on top of them the whole time now let's say you've got an adult you know porn is not illegal so let's say you've got a magazine that you've hidden in the back of your cupboard let's say your kids are playing hide and seek or something it's not negligent of you if they happen to come across that
0: I'd be very interested to know what the listeners have to say by the way if you are listening we'd love you to give us your feedback you can send us a voice memo is the most ideal thing you can do time to talk australia at outlook.com let us know what you're thinking of this fairly remarkable conversation I have to say I want to talk about security guard Melanie Bagnall While patrolling the ranch one day, she spotted her employer, Michael Jackson, along with one of his young visitors, riding in one of Neverland's golf carts. As they passed each other on the pathway, Bagnell said she couldn't help but notice how close together the man and the boy were sitting in the cart. She also observed that Michael Jackson had his hand cupped around the boy's crotch. Uh, Melanie Bagnell, is she a fan favourite? melanie but i i got to i have to be that's honest that's okay sam I'm believe not, me um, you you are a fountain of knowledge with... no one can be critical of you yeah. i'll give you i'll give you time to have a <laughs> look not... at <laughs> that let, let me play he you she wanted
3: the neverland
1: 5
0: let let me play you what melanie has to say
1: there was a child sitting on his lap and he had his hands close to his genitalia like cupping his genitalia and it was disturbing it was alarming it was um a confirmation in ways you know
4: things changed for you then yes this is a difficult question melanie but the boy that you saw on the golf cart do you believe michael jackson sexually abused him yes you're that confident yes do you believe that there were people who helped cover this up?
1: Yes. Just to be clear,
4: when we're talking about keeping a secret, you, you believe that there were people there who knew he was abusing children? Yes. And that they actively covered that up?
1: Yes. At one point, a bodyguard said, we do what's necessary.
0: And there's that familiar pattern of people who know too much being threatened not to say anything. Melanie Bagnell, it's okay if you if you haven't heard you know her story before.
2: Oh, I've heard of her. I know who she is, but I don't know what the outcome of the trial was against Jackson. I know she sued him, but i don't I can't remember the outcome. i can I can tell you one thing. Um, uh, again, it begs the question if you knew so much, if you witnessed so much, why not go to the authorities?
0: Well, certainly not to not to excuse anyone who doesn't report, but what we do know is that in cases of child sexual abuse, It is, again, it's becoming, thankfully, it's improving. But it is common for people to have known or suspected and not said anything. So that's not uncommon. What about Brett Barnes? Let's talk about him for a moment. He met Michael.
2: I love Brett Barnes. He's such a he's a he's a real uh, he's a he's a man of integrity and a good loyal friend to Michael. Both before and
0: after he died. Well, he met Michael when he was five years of age. At the time, Barnes was asked about the sleepovers with a singer. He claimed he slept on one side of the bed while Jackson slept on the other. Um, that he did not find that unusual. He's told reporters in the past um, that Michael kissed uh, him like. His mother would kiss him. It's not unusual, quote, this is a quote from him, it's not unusual for him to hug, kiss and nuzzle up to you and stuff. Uh, And during the Jackson 2005 trial, Barnes testified that Jackson had absolutely not molested him. What I find interesting about uh, Brett Barnes is that his sister states that Brett slept with Michael for 395 days in a row. (laughs) That,
2: that would be quite difficult given Michael's commitments throughout the years.
0: <laughs> I think we need to pick that up because there were children that yep. went on tour with him, weren't they, from city to city. So it's not inconceivable.
3: I, I don't think they were with him for Brett. a year straight.
0: Um, yeah. well, so Brett Barnes's sister, what would be her motivation to say that Brett slept with Michael for 395 days in a row? What?
3: Actually, I, I don't know the answer to this question, what has Brett said about that? He's the one to ask.
2: Let's do, Yeah, let's go to the source. <laughs> let's see what Brett said. <laughs> because uh, Brett, on many occasions, very publicly has defended Michael and still to this day is active on Twitter in defending Michael. If there's anyone to interview, it's that guy. If anyone has known Michael for a length of period of time, it's going to be Brett Barnes. He's a 37, 39-year-old man now. Uh, He first met Michael in 1986 or 7, and he was five at the time. He wrote a fan letter, and he became uh, one of the backing dancers during a concert. So, yeah, of course, he spent a lot of time with Michael, but has consistently defended him and also testified against the testimony of James and Wade.
0: Geordie Chandler was asked about Brett Barnes by a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist said, okay, fine, you're doing nicely. You know, we're going to take a break, but let's try and finish this and then we'll take a break. Do you know that Brett Barnes, he, he asked, do you think that Brett Barnes was lying when he went on television? Geordie said, yes. The psychiatrist says, why do you think he's lying? Geordie, because Michael told me what they did together.
2: Brett Barnes and Macaulay Culkin are both brought into this. Let's bring this back into the court testimony. 2005, Brett Barnes testified that Jackson had, in his own words, absolutely never and not molested him. When he was asked if Michael had ever touched him in a sexual way, he said, never, and I would never stand for it. Those were his, his exact words. The same questions were put to Macaulay Culkin, the same responses. These were allegedly, Brett Barnes and Macaulay Culkin were allegedly the replacements when Wade Robson and James Safechuck, who they claim were molested by Michael, got older. So they were recla- the claim is Macaulay replaced uh, Wade and, and, and James and Brett came in, uh, both deny. Um, so if you believe the testimony in leaving Neverland of Wade Robson and James Safechuck, you also have to believe that Macaulay Culkin and Brett Barnes were also molested because these this is the testimony of Wade and James.
0: Um, and
2: both of these are claiming it absolutely categorically never
0: happened. Well, the maid, Adrienne McManus, who we've spoken about before, she was also uncomfortable about that relationship between Michael and Brett Barnes. She said she reported seeing uh, over-affectionate behaviours between Jackson and Brett Barnes. It happened after all three of them had been looking at something upstairs in the bedroom. This is her quote. They were walking back down the stairs and they went down through the hall by his bedroom and I kind of followed because it was very hot up there in that room and I was on the landing after you get on the stairs and I kind of looked over the landing and he was walking away with Brett to his room and I saw him put his hand on Brett's rear end and he gave Brett a kiss on the cheek.
2: But yet under, under under oath in 2005, she then later testified under cross-examination by Tom Mesereau that she did not see that take place. But in her earlier deposition in 1993, she claimed that she did see Michael Place's hands in Macaulay Culkin's pants. Which testimony do you believe? You have to, you know, it begs the question, there's a credibility issue. The moment you
0: perjure yourself in court, there's a credibility issue. My
4: problem and we also here, have the motive, Sam, is
0: that there's a lot of credibility issues. There's a lot of people spoken about a lot of people here today yep. and mm-hmm. the central argument is that they've all got credibility and some of them but got a ticket pass some of them have been thieves some of them are motivated by money can they all be telling lies annika can they all be
3: lying yeah well look what's interesting is look michael jackson is someone who's had hundreds of people around him almost all the time okay and what i find very very interesting is that when Wade or James or Adrian McManus or any of these people make make these statements we're almost you know especially why wouldn't they be telling the truth this is yeah. convincing look at the detail when you've got when you've got Brett and Corley also making statements saying no this very categorical statements and backing it up and consistently backing it up over x number of never changed their story like all these other people they've never shied away from um doing you know standing up when they need to and saying what they need to like a lot of these people have and their stories have not wavered once but when when we're looking at what they've said it's like oh but are they telling the truth could they have been molested we're questioning them far more than we're questioning the statements made by people like wade and james the opposite question is being asked when it comes to wade and james oh but surely they are telling the truth, or why wouldn't they, despite all the inconsistencies. When you've got, you've got other people um, who have been extremely consistent, who have been very categorical, who have never shied away from the topic, and we're questioning, why are we questioning that?
0: How many boys need to come forward and accuse this man of abuse before you'd believe? There are five boys, let's look at the facts, Five boys who Michael shared his bed with have accused him of abuse. Let's just go through them. Geordie Chandler, Jason Francia, Gavin Arviso, Wade Robson, Jimmy Safechuck. Come on now. How many boys need how, how, to actually tell their story before yeah. some people will believe? so is, uh, you know go so
3: on, I good numbers question is it just a, it, are we now saying that as long as x number of people accuse someone then it must be true is, is that the yeah. point that you're making because that's what i'm hearing because for me i only need one boy to come forward and say that michael jackson abused me as long as his story is credible yeah
0: you've got child protection services saying that geordie was credible you've got um a a, a renowned expert in pedophilia saying his story was credible, you've got a mark on a penis that he drew before the examination of Michael Jackson's genitals, which, no, you, you, spe- which you which you speculated He's at the beginning was a, a, basically an educated guess manufactured by the father. Let me say this, the jurors weren't convinced either necessarily a lot of fans uh who defend michael will say well he was he was exonerated right which is very reasonable of course it is but the jurors weren't convinced either Not all of them. The jury has been not
2: convinced uh, in 2005. I mean, you you have to remember in 93, even though that was the settlement for the civil case, there were still two grand juries, which they were tasked to uh, ascertain whether there was enough evidence to take the case to a criminal trial. And on both occasions, the grand jury said, no, there were not. Again, we talk often about these photographs. If there was such a smoking gun, then there would have been enough to indict Michael Jackson. He would have faced a criminal trial, uh, trial. Sam, can
0: I ask you explicitly this, because you've you've talked quite a few times about the fact that you were there, and it's a reasonable point you make that unless you were there listening to every shred of detail, it's really hard for you to really form an opinion. But let's talk about the jurors, right? They were there. They heard everything. And let's listen to what Ray Holtman said. He said, that's not (laughs) to say he's an innocent man. He's just not guilty of the crimes he's been charged with," he said. The prosecution presented ample evidence that Jackson had a pattern of inappropriate behaviour with boys, but not with the boy who had accused him. Ray said he didn't find Macaulay Culkin, Rayd Robson, who was denying things at that stage, and Brett Barnes believable. He said we had our suspicions, but we couldn't judge on that because it wasn't what we were there to do. They heard all the information that you're so eager for us all to hear, and these two jurors think that there's something wrong with Michael. They,
3: they, no. Those jurors were also trying to sell a book immediately yep. after the trial, okay? And, and, yeah, and the other thing is that they're absolutely right. They were not there to judge on accusations against Macaulay Culkin because that wasn't the trial. They were there to judge accusations against, um, sorry, accusations made by Gavin Chandler uh, Gavin, Gavin Arviso, even God, look—it's—it's it's, it's almost midnight here. Excuse me. <laughs> um, <laughs> accusations made by Gavin Arviso against Michael Jackson, and they did their job. Yeah. If Macaulay Culkin had made allegations against Michael Jackson, those two should be tested or should have been tested, mm. and the trial would then have focused around that. There, you cannot judge one when when a person is telling you, "I have never been molested." that that's what the person is telling you but there was no there was no claim to judge so it's a moot point
2: yeah, yeah, and also remember the, these jurors. These jurors were only paid seventy dollars per day that they were present in this courtroom. Um, of course, they're going to want to sell a book and peddle a book, and there's a there's a motive there. And interestingly, you pick out the two jurors who had something slightly negative to say. You don't uh, comment on Paula Kokos, for example, who come out and still to this day vehemently says that Michael Jackson is completely and utterly innocent of the of the crimes in which he was alleged. And you have to remember one of these camps, one of these charges against him was conspiracy to kidnap. Now, conspiracy to kidnap, when you look at the finer details, Mm -hmm. the alleged crime was that Michael had planned to cover up the abuse by placing Gavin Arviso in a hot air balloon and sending (laughs) him to South America. Now, again, if you believe that, then you're living in your
1: own Neverland.
0: Let's hear from one of those jurors.
1: I made it quite clear to the other jurors that I was going to be Leaving the deliberation room, knowing that Michael Jackson was a child molester, but he says the defense created enough reasonable doubt for him to vote not guilty.
0: So that was Ray Holtman, and the other juror that I couldn't quite get my um, head around at the time was uh, Eleanor Cook. She also had her suspicions, and but I take your point, Sam. But there are other jurors there who are adamant that he was innocent. Listen, let let's bring this. They could have
3: also, if they were that convinced. They, remember in in a criminal case, it has to be a unanimous verdict. They could have had a hung jury if they were yep. that, If he came out believing Michael Jackson's a charm Lester, mm-hmm. then he's failed in his duty.
0: Let's bring this to to a close. I've I've got a question for you both. Is it possible, Sam? Is it possible, Annika, that you have both been groomed by Michael Jackson? <laughs>
2: I like to think that I'm a fairly good Georgia character. I'm 40 years old, so um, I've followed Michael Jackson since the early 90s. I've spent a lot of time travelling not just to see him, but with him. Um, I, I like to think I'm a pretty good judge of character and I would like to believe that because I was present in the courtroom that I have a, um, a good informed opinion. Um, I'd like to believe that when I give my response, it's at least an articulate response based on what I've witnessed and seen. Um, I would reserve a response to that question until the trial is finished. Um, we have the Wade and James trial. Subject to obviously due process, and then, and only then, can we be certain of what the truth is. Until then, everything is just speculation. It is just he said, she said, and uh, we really must all wait until the conclusion of that court trial before we can ascertain whether or not Michael Jackson truly is guilty of those crimes.
3: I'd like to think not. Um, as I as I've said, when these allegations have been made, I've examined them. You know, in a huge amount of detail to convince myself first before I put myself out there publicly sure, to defend sure. someone else. You know, I need to be convinced. Um, you know, I, as Sam said, I, I like to think I'm, you know, a fairly rational, logical, hopefully intelligent person. Um, I'm a lawyer by uh, profession. So I've looked at these things um, in a lot of detail. And it's, it's not that I'm looking at it to prove that he's innocent. I'm looking at it because I want to know the truth. If he's done mm-hmm. this, you know, it probably affects me
1: yeah.
3: hugely. You know, I I need to know. I don't want to be supporting someone who could have done this. And, uh, you know, I'm very clear on that. But based on what I've done and based on the research I've done, and, and I often exclude what Michael said, because when you're looking at something like this, if someone has done something, of course they're going to say, no, of course they haven't. So you almost need to discount the person themselves and look at it quite objectively. And I've tried to do that, um, and I, I think I have. And the evidence that I've seen to date has not convinced me that he's done anything wrong. It's convinced me that he's been the victim. Um, and like I said, you, you, know, you asked previously how many boys would it take. It will take one, just one, but one that can come credibly one that's well, yeah. story is not changing every five minutes. One mm-hmm. who there is no money motivation for. Um, that That's what it takes. And I don't think that's asking a lot um, yeah. for an accuser to have a credible story.
0: Well, Sam and Annika, the one thing we all agree on, is we really hope the truth will will come to light. I can't tell you how grateful I am for you tolerating the devil's advocate that I played tonight. I really appreciate (laughs) it. it. I know it's very, very late over there. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. You're more than welcome. Thank you for being so kind. Thank you.